This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. We are so glad that you're joining us again. We've been on a bit of a recording break since our last full season that was Ready, Set, Think. We hope you listened into that. Otherwise, you can catch it online. But I, for one, I've really missed being here and recording, so I am so happy to be back right here talking with all of you listeners out there and, of course, talking with you, my dear friend Hannah. So glad to be back recording with you today. It is good. Like, I always like the break, Mm -hmm. but then I'm ready to get back to it. There have been so many things happening in the last month. Not that we would have talked about all of them here on Persuasion, but we do tend to talk about a lot of things even in between recordings. I mean, there were the numerous online kerfuffles, as always, but there also have been uh, two major Marvel movies released since we last recorded, Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame. Have you seen either of these? No, I haven't. Uh, Are you a Marvel watcher, though? Um, generally, yes. Um, we, a couple weeks ago, we took the kids to the movies over spring break and we had to pick between Captain Marvel and Shazam. Oh, and we went with Shazam, which, you know, really enjoyed it. But my youngest was like, we can't go see that. It's not a Marvel movie. Oh, it's like, we have to stick in the system. Yes. The universe is calling. Yeah. I was able to see both of those. We did skip Captain Marvel. Oh, man. Yeah, we'll you can see. circle back. So the last Marvel movie we went to see was Infinity Wars, which was great, except it wasn't. I mean, like my husband was so mad at the end. Really? That we had paid all that money, taken our kids, sat through all of that, and we still didn't know what was going to happen at the end. <laughs> so we've been for a year talking about waiting, waiting and then it's finally here. So we will get to Endgame at some point. It's just a matter of scheduling and getting us all on the same schedule so we can see it together. That's really been the thing for me is the scheduling of it because we were we were busy and then we've been out of town. And so I finally did get to see it. But here's the thing, Hannah, that I have noticed is that so much conversation is happening around this movie and there's so much shared excitement and joy and sadness around this movie. And until I saw it, I really was feeling rather left out and feeling a little bit like I didn't know what was happening. And it struck me of of how much these movies have infiltrated our shared experience, our cultural stories. It's like everything about what we're doing right now is focusing on this movie. It's unreal. It's funny to me, um, because it is this kind of weird, um, you're in this 
this state where I'm hoping to see it and, mm-hmm. and everybody's kind of respecting the boundaries of those who haven't seen it yet. So there's, there is this kind of no spoilers, mm-hmm. um, respect toward each other, but there is a group that's seen it and it's all like they're winking at each other online, right. you right. know, <laughs> they're like, we're the ones and we know. And it was funny to me is it reminds me, um, of growing up, we didn't see a lot of movies. We didn't go to theaters. We didn't even rent rent from Blockbuster, although I don't know if we had one close, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. But there was this kind of otherness and this sense of all my friends at school would be talking about a movie or have seen something and I would not have seen it. So I I am trying to keep myself stable here and not trigger (laughs) from my childhood of being out of the loop. Right. So, uh, So I have this hope. We will see it. We will know the end. It's just not right this minute. You got to hold on. Right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, this this um, Avengers madness, the excitement around it, it's such the perfect entry for our next series and what we want to talk about in terms of the power of stories and movies in particular to draw us together or in some ways to separate us. And so- so excited, all you listeners out there. We have a new series that we're kicking off today called Never Seen. And to help us to launch the series right, we have a guest. We love having guests here at Persuasion. And today we have invited our friend and movie critic extraordinaire, Alyssa Wilkinson, to join us. Alyssa, welcome to Persuasion. Thank you for having me. We're so glad you are here. Now, Alyssa, you are a staff writer and critic at Vox.com. You cover film and culture. You also are an assistant professor at the King's College. You have all kinds of things going on. We would love to hear what does the life of Alyssa look like? Are you just watching movies and running to classes? Like, How do you fit all of this stuff in? (laughs) It really depends on the week. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now, classes are winding down. I actually taught my last class of the semester yesterday. Um, and we also are in the middle of the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. So it's like going to movies, running back and teaching class, um, maybe carrying some papers with me on the way to another film <laughs> and writing kind of in the gaps. It's all over the place. But then, you know, in two weeks, I'll be uh, in France for the Cannes Film Festival. And there it is a lot of standing in lines and waiting to get into movies. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound as glamorous. Yeah, for- <laughs> I was going to say, that's not what I was thinking no, of the glamorous. standing in lines. <laughs> yeah, Cannes is very glamorous if you are a movie star and if you are a movie critic. It is, I mean, it's still more glamorous probably than, you know, whatever else I might be doing at the same time because, you know, you are in the French Riviera, even if you're standing in line. But um, honestly, it's a lot of standing in lines for hours in the rain and hoping that you get into the film that you need to see so you can go back and write a review of it and file it back to the States. Um, So it's quite an experience. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, during the summer, I, I get to mainly work on writing, but during the two semesters, it's pretty crazy. And it's kind of interesting because academic life has its seasons and movie critic life does too. I mean, from Labor Day to the Oscars is just like one long marathon of craziness. Um, but then this time of year, it's all like Endgame and, and Pikachu and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things don't seem to go together, actually. Surprise. <laughs> 
Well, what I love um, about this series that we're developing over the next few weeks and the conversation we're having is, as Aaron said, it's um, titled Never Seen. And what we want to do is kind of pick up on all of those movies that um, are part of our cultural narrative and our conversation that maybe either Aaron or I um, haven't seen for one reason or another. And I think it's fascinating, as Aaron said, like movies kind of create this shared experience or this shared, this common culture or story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just curious, Alyssa, like what you see as the value of movies. I mean, you've given your working life to this, Mm -hmm. this genre. So what is it that you love about movies and what do you think is their value to us both as a culture and as, as individuals? Yeah, I I mean, I should say it first off that I never really intended to be doing this for a living. Mm. Um, and in fact, um, you know, I grew up not watching a lot of movies myself. Um, my family was was very conservative and also just not very into movies, I guess. They, we were into music and books and things like that, but not, not film. And so I really was an adult before I started watching film seriously and then realizing that it wasn't just this big, expensive, you know, entertainment thing that you're supposed to partake in mindlessly, but that it's actually, um, you know, an art form uh, and that it, you know, the stories that are told and the images we see are really important. So for me, I think about certainly the shared stories and especially with big blockbuster movies, you know, they, they give us ways to talk about all kinds of things. Um, and the really good ones often are just kind of about what it is to be human. Um, and so I think that's really good for everyone to be engaging in that conversation, no matter what we believe. And then I also think it's good to not discount what actually makes a film, a film, which is that it is, has images. Um, you know, you could, you could have a movie without a story, but you can't have a movie without images. So um, I love that when we go see a movie, especially in a theater, we are sitting, we're small, like we're smaller than the Mm -hmm. screen, right? Um, If you're not Mm -hmm. smaller than the theater, uh, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) So um, (laughs) it's rare to be dwarfed by things, I think, in our culture, especially as we move to smaller and smaller screens. So I think that's actually like, a good thing for people to experience being small um, and experiencing wonder or sadness or fear or any emotion in that kind of a space. It makes us a little bit helpless in a way that our world doesn't always let us be. And then we're all doing it together if we're in a theater and hopefully people aren't sitting there on their phones. And if they are, you can always yell at them, but um, it, you know that actually just happened to me at Endgame. It's the worst. People, I mean, that, I wasn't yelled at. There yeah. was an incident. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was not the one on my phone, but somebody was, and another moviegoer was not having it. Yeah, so, it's very very rude. stressful. Don't don't do that. But I I think that um, you know, being in in a place together, having an experience that's bigger than us, is not a thing that most people experience. Maybe outside of a church, if ever. Um, in our culture. And so movies uh, give us that opportunity. And of course, we're seeing fewer and fewer of them on the big screen. Um, 
as, you know, on the whole, but I don't think that that diminishes the value. It might even increase the value of it um, if we're actually in the theater. That's fascinating that you bring up that smallness and the experience of the movie, because growing up, I came from a, a similar conservative background. And when we watched movies, it was on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually it was cut up by commercial breaks mm-hmm. and it was edited for content and length. Right. So it would fit the eight to 11 block with commercials or whatever. And I remember very distinctly the first time I sat in a movie theater um, and saw a uh, now we would sometimes see like movies in a religious context, Mm -hmm. like a church would show or screen a movie. But I remember the first time I sat in a public movie theater seeing a Hollywood movie and I was blown away by the sound Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the full sensory experience of it. Yeah. Um, And it was very different than just the story or just the images. It was this full bodied experience. And I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. that's what it means to go to the movies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people, when they, uh, react to movies, you know, it, there certainly there have been different ways that um, uh, Christian people have reacted to films since the birth of the medium. And some have been very positive and some have been very negative. But I think sometimes that big sensory experience is overwhelming and kind of frightening, like we're swept up in it and then we tend mm-hmm. to be um, skeptical about whether that's good but that's I mean that's what art is supposed to do um, is kind of sweep us up in in what's happening Uh, it's not something we can control and I think like it's really good for a lot of us to remember that we're not in control of everything and um, I know that sounds like overly philosophical perhaps for thinking about a, a big dumb blockbuster but I actually think it has a lot of value for us When I was growing up, we did not go to the movies a lot, mainly because there just wasn't a lot of extra money to do that. So like you, Hannah, I watched a lot of things on TV. But then once I hit college and early adulthood, I had my own funding and Mike and I loved to go to movies. So he watches a lot of movies. We've seen a lot at home and at the theater. And so I've watched quite a few movies and some strange movies. Like the things that I've watched when I've gone onto Letterboxd and like marked the ones, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I have the strangest collection of movies that I've seen. But there are still some films that I don't go watch and everyone else is excited about it. Like everyone seems to be talking about whatever the movie is. And I just am not interested or don't care to go see it. And that sense of not being part of the group, um, that to me is, um, I I feel it. Like I, it's almost like I don't want to admit the fact that I've not Mm -hmm. seen a movie when everyone's talking about it. And so that peer pressure almost to be part of it and to see everything is overwhelming. Um, And I'm wondering what you think of that, Alyssa. You watch a lot of movies, and so you probably have seen a wide array. Um, Do you ever have that sense of like you've missed out on a movie, or can you relate to that? Yeah, I mean, part of my job is to see as much as I can, um, (laughs) which it Mm -hmm. is actually impossible Mm -hmm. to see every movie. I think about 15 or 20 come out in theaters every weekend. So yeah, the pile just gets higher and higher. And it didn't used to Mm -hmm. be this way. But I do. 
so for me, sometimes it's like, oh, I need to see that. I know I need to see that um, because everyone is seeing it and that's part of my job. But mm-hmm. for me, I also end up in the position where there are a lot of movies that most people will never, ever hear of that I know about um, because my friends are critics and they saw this movie at a festival mm-hmm. or they saw it. Um, you know, in a repertory theater or something. And especially because I live in New York where we have theaters that are constantly also playing old films or Mm -hmm. doing series of films by filmmakers who have new movies coming out. Um, I, at some point, had to accept the fact that I was never going to see everything (laughs) and that when people say, oh, you have to see X, usually, at least if they kind of are doing it from a place of, like, good-heartedness, it's because they want Mm -hmm. to share their excitement with me. And and I'm like, okay, so this isn't about how boring I am for not having seen it. It's because they're like, (laughs) no, really, like, you're going to love it. I know you will. Um, And that's been helpful for me, especially because I spend all of my time I'm trying to catch up on things that I never saw in the first go round. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's possible to play catch up? Like, for instance, if if there would be a whole era that you missed out on and well, everyone refers to them and they have the inside jokes and it's sort of like, oh my goodness, how do you catch up on that? Like, do you have key movies that you think, wow, if everyone would watch these 20, you would be pretty much caught up? Yeah, like, let's, what let's do you say, do? let's say, for example, a person or a friend, <laughs> a friend has <laughs> a certain time period of her life that she didn't see popular movies. <laughs> Um, let's say this friend has never seen Titanic. Mm-hmm. Should <laughs> Who? said friend Who is this person? <laughs> give time to see. Yes. So I actually had this experience last year was the 20th anniversary, I think, of Titanic. And um, I had not seen it. Um, no, yes. this is awesome. And I was like, uh, you know, for years I'd been like, I really need to see it. I really need to see it. But of course, I really needed to see everything. Um, but often when there's a big anniversary, uh, there the you know you'll be able to see it on the big screen. And like with a movie like Titanic, that was ideal, given that it's just yeah. an enormous movie. I had no idea, and I had absorbed a lot about Titanic. Like I knew what happens at the end of it uh, you know <laughs> right and we know my heart will no, go on right no. I have yeah right. you kind of like pick up on things over time and so I kind of thought I knew what I was getting and I was like man this is three hours long like whatever it'll be fine and it's so good it's just so good I couldn't believe how good it was I was like that is that is cinema like that's what it's supposed to be um nice. so Yeah, so Titanic, that actually happened for me. Um, But I do have kind of a list of movies that I haven't seen um, that I keep that I know I should see, either because I hear about them so much and I need to see them or because I want to for whatever reason. Um, And years ago, maybe five or six years ago, I asked a a small film site that I knew of that I knew wasn't going to pay me, but I just needed a place to do this um, to let me write a column where I watched a movie that I really seriously should have seen by then and, um, and kind of write about it. And the first one I did was um, Citizen Kane, which that, you know, that's like a movie everybody should see. Um, But, you know, I was like, Oh, this is a really good movie. And I was like, well, of course it's a really good movie. (laughs) 
stupid thing to say. <laughs> um, but having that list helped me kind of work my way through movies like that. I think I watched E.T. I watched um, mm-hmm. A Nightmare Before Christmas, just movies like that really were things I should have seen that get referred to. Um, but I think you have to like let go of your shame over not seeing movies and realize that even <laughs> professional film critics who are paid money to do this have a whole backlog of films that they know they should have seen. Well, I will pass that advice along to my friend. <laughs> and maybe in the next few weeks, my friend can take some time to see Titanic and we can talk to my friend about well, your friend it. is in for a treat. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Erin, is there anything you haven't seen that you feel there, like I need to well, I should see this or getting rid of your shame saying right. I would like to see this? Okay, I'm going to um, get rid of the shame of I have never seen any one Harry Potter mm. movie the whole way through. Well, both of them are not that good. So that <laughs> so, might be okay. Well, I mean, those are the movies when you mm-hmm. admit it. I mean, I have, I'd say those are the movies where I have experienced the most um, yeah. reprimand over where people are just in their infuriated. How could you not see these movies? And so I have seen bits and pieces of all of them, I think, but they all blend into mm-hmm. one. So yeah. I'm more, it's more like this all seems the same to me. I don't know. And, and maybe it's also because I've not also read those books, <laughs> but don't tell anybody. So, um, so for whatever reason, when those movies were and the books were coming out, that was just not something I was reading and watching. And so now I feel like that cultural moment has passed and I don't feel like investing that time to go back and watch that. So there are those movies. Um, I have not seen really hardly any classics whatsoever because mm. my family was not um, a movie family and I haven't gone to a a film fest where they're showing all the classics. So I just haven't watched them. And so when people refer to like, Alyssa, you said Citizen Kane, I'm like, I have never seen that. I, I don't even really know what to expect. And so there are all these movies that people refer to that are more the longstanding classics. I haven't seen any of them. So, um, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of weird, dumb movies, like a lot of teen movies, but, but the serious stuff I really haven't seen. You know, the thing I find fascinating about the classic repertoire is I do feel like with each passing year and all of the movies that come into, you know, the the repertoire of movies that we should see, it just feels like you can't catch up. Like we mm-hmm. look at literature and people have been writing and telling stories and books for you know, millennia. And you have a sense of literature where you're like, okay, it's impossible to read the canon of everything that was ever written or produced. But with movies, because it's a genre that's, how old, how like old is the genre? 110 so? years, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost mm-hmm. feels possible. Like you're like, if I just do this, I can get yeah. caught up. And so there's a mm-hmm. limit just the the recentness of the genre, you do feel like, oh, well, I should catch up on all of these classics. And But as I was thinking about this idea of catching up, I realized that I've probably never mm. seen a silent movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Probably me either. So, like, in my experience, movies start with mm-hmm. the talkies or the, the like, mm-hmm. movies started mm-hmm. in 1930s. That's, that's mm-hmm. when... <laughs> 
And so I think it's fascinating how time kind of warps our sense of what we're seeing and how each passing year makes it harder and harder to see. Yeah, we also have the illusion, Mm -hmm. I think, that we're always going to be able to see whatever we want because we live in this age of streaming and and all these things. But the truth is that only a very small percentage of movies are actually available to stream. Um, And I think the illusion of availability means that we're like, eh, I'll watch it later. You know, I'll just watch this. I'll Mm -hmm. rewatch whatever my favorite movie for the 20th time, which totally have its place. I certainly have done that. But I think sometimes it's good to remember that like these are actually somewhat scarce and it's good to watch them when when they become available to you through whatever means you have at your disposal. As we're talking about this whole um, idea of going back and watching older movies and pulling them out of that era and watching them today. Alyssa, what sort of um, reaction do you have to films that are so set in a social construct that is so different from what we're experiencing today? What are the reactions that you've had to some of those older films that are really in some ways the the dialogue or the interactions can be really cringeworthy? Yeah, How do I mean, you deal I think with it's that? important for us to to remember, well, I guess to think about them as if we're watching a movie from a different culture. So, you know, if you watch a foreign film, Mm -hmm. say you're watching a film from Iran, um, you might encounter things that feel like unfamiliar or even objectionable or problematic in some way because of the culture that Mm -hmm. they're set within. You know, it doesn't maybe jive with what your American perception of how people should live is right or notions of of Mm -hmm. faith or of family life or any of those things and so um you know what that gives us is the opportunity to recognize how people live that it's different (laughs) you know our world is not the only world that exists Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i think that's largely true of watching movies from the past as well um hollywood movies from the past in particular i think that you know, the one slice that's always worth remembering is that Hollywood is an industry that was shaped by a very small set of very kind of like wealthy elite dudes, basically from the past. And so some of the mm-hmm. stuff we see, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, not I... that it's changed, right? But some of the stuff that we see is not so much like how people were back then, but how they thought people were back then. Um, and so that's like a really mm-hmm. interesting window mm-hmm. into something that's vital for us to remember, but it also is important for us to not be like, oh, well, that's how everybody was when the fact is that that's how mm. some guys thought everyone was. <laughs> so that's fascinating that you bring that up because as I was thinking about the movies I haven't seen, I went be- back and read like mm-hmm. um, Academy Award winners. And I had this thought as I was reading through the list of what received awards, mm-hmm. I was like, number one, these are all the same. Like there's a similar set of values and what they determined was mm-hmm. a award winning movie. And then I realized like how much are the movies that we've been told mm-hmm. to watch dominated mm-hmm. by the context from which they emerged, which you, you know, just described as this elite um, male dominated kind of space. And so it gave mm. me this whole different sense of mm-hmm. even freedom 
to say, these are the movies that were recommended and I have been told you must see these because they are the best. But even that evaluation is rooted in a certain set of right, presuppositions. Right, right. And, and people context. then mm-hmm. will be like, oh, you know, the back back in the golden age of films, you know, everyone kind of had these like moral stories and they were uplifting and all these things. And like, well, there's a reason for that. Actually, uh, there was a censor, a self-censorship code that the industry held to for decades that was basically designed to keep the government from censoring them. But it had all kinds of crazy things baked into it. Like you couldn't show to a mixed race marriage um, that was forbidden. Like you couldn't show that. And so that certainly shapes what you saw on screen and who got jobs and who got hired to play different parts. Um, Or there, you know, there's just like all kinds of interesting pieces of the industry that are worth knowing if we're going to talk about how movies appear and were made in the past and what we count as good. Um, Especially when we're talking about how they relate to movies today. So it's all, it's all very interesting. And there are, good books and documentaries that can get you caught up pretty fast. But, um, but whenever I'm watching a movie from the past, I'm thinking a lot about the era in which it's made, not, not thinking about how people acted back then, but more the conditions of the industry at the time. That's going to be so helpful to us as we move through this series. And as a way of framing up what we're doing, basically each episode, we are going to be talking about a movie that one of us hasn't seen. And so Alyssa, we've we've started to get that list pulled together mm-hmm. and we have a couple, one of them may be Titanic and um, we have some classics on there. Like um, we will probably be looking at Singing in the Rain and we're real excited about that. But we, we thought we'd leave an option open and we're going to call it Critics' Choice. And so we would like to get influence from you. So we would love to have your take on what film do you think we need to see? So Hannah and I had come up with a couple of options, things that we hadn't seen. Mm. And we just would love to hear your thoughts on that. What movie do you think we should fill in the slot and talk about on Persuasion? I mean, there there are so many <laughs> that are so wonderful. Um, I, I think that some of the movies that are worth watching are the ones that flew just under the radar, but I think will be major in the future um, from recent years. So, you know, one I've I've talked and thought about over the last year was Eighth Grade, um, which I have to be honest, I almost skipped it at its Sundance premiere because I had heard it was made by a YouTube guy. And I was like, oh, no, YouTube. People. <laughs> but then I watched it and it was easily one of the most profound movies of the year it's um, so it's, good really yeah it's about it's so good it's about an eighth grade girl you know who it's her last week of eighth grade and she sort of has a whole bunch of experiences but it's very very empathetic and very knowing about what it must be like to be a 13 year old girl in the world right now when you're surrounded by cameras and by people who will like judge you on the internet as well as in real life and how that shapes your real life. And it has this really wonderful father character as well, who um, is very kind of sensitive to what his daughter needs while also being like a giant dork. And it's just a really, really (laughs) good film. And I think in future years, you know, I think it got ignored a little bit last year by some people because it seemed like, oh, like we know what that movie is going to be because we've seen teen movies before. It was almost subtle. And this is not like that at all. And that's what's Mm -hmm. going to create the lasting 
value. I watched it with my daughter who um, is the same age right now. And it was amazing. Like it is one of the experiences we will have together in our memories. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think also, you know, it's good to remember that there are lots of great nonfiction films. Um, We're actually kind of in the middle of a, like a, I don't, I don't want to call it a revolution, but it's certainly a renaissance of nonfiction where we're telling all kinds of interesting stories with documentaries, not just, you know, what people think of is, is a documentary uh, where it's either like polemical or it's just a bunch of talking heads cut together with like some photos that got pulled out of some archives. But there are so many wonderful documentaries now. Um, and one that always springs to mind when people ask is uh, a film called Stories We Tell, um, which is uh, a movie in which the director is trying to re-navigate um, the stories that her family told themselves about themselves, her family history. And it's done through interviews with her family, but also through some uh, reenactments with actors and things like that. But it's not what that, it, you know, nobody would be interested in the story of her family if she hadn't made the movie because they're not famous or anything. Um, so it's more about us, you know, in the audience thinking about our own families and our own lives and our own histories as we're watching this investigation. That's just like the epitome of film, isn't it? Like, let's go dive mm-hmm. into somebody's life and see what it's like. And we get to watch mm-hmm. it on the big screen. That's very cool. Well, I think we have all sorts of things to think about, Hannah, as we uh, get this series kicked off and running. I'm really looking forward to it. Alyssa, thank you so much for being here and shaping the start of the series, getting us headed in the right direction. We so appreciate you spending time with us on Persuasion today. I'm so glad I could. Thanks for having me. Well, as we wind down, we want to um, remind you that we are going to be looking at movies every week. We'll give you some little teasers here and there, but come on back. We've got a full series lined up for you. But until then, check out these movie-based persuasion combos. We've had a discussion on Black Panther with Catherine Freeman. Hannah and I talked about Beauty and the Beast a couple years back. And then we also talked um, on a, an ounce of persuasion about The Incredibles. So I'll give links of those past episodes online so you can check those out while you're waiting. And we would love for all of you to join the conversation. So Hannah, do we have a question of the day for everybody? We do. We want to know what is your never seen movie? What is that movie that you in shame for years have hidden that you haven't seen because everyone else has seen it? It's time to come out into the light. Let go of your shame. Tell us which movie you haven't seen and or one that you would like to see that you know everyone has, talks about. You can join us um, on Twitter at Persuasion CAPC. Let us know what uh, your never seen movie is or join us in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum. And you can become part of our community uh, for just $5 a month where you support um, the conversations that are happening there, the articles that we post online, and the whole Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. We want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in our network. You can give them a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com, or you can search for Christ and Pop Culture on iTunes. All those shows will just pop right on up there for you. And while you're there at iTunes, we would love ratings and reviews. You know how that works. It's, it's such a help. But we really do appreciate all of you listening here at Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. 
an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.